As American psycho Gavin Newsom locked down his political opponent's beaches in one of the few conservative counties in California, your humble correspondent broke the law to lounge in the sun. The lockdown authoritarians don't have any arguments anymore to defend their draconian policies. But that isn't the point. The cruelty is the point. Then Joe Biden blows it when addressing sexual assault allegations against him, but it won't matter. Feminism dies with a tweet, and Hollywood tries to rewrite the history of one of the most important women in the history of the conservative movement. I'm Michael Knowles, and this is The Michael Knowles Show. I broke the law. I'm a criminal. At any moment now, the LAPD could knock down my studio door and drag me away. Gavin Newsom's state secret police could pull me away because I violated his beach lockdown order and I did it gleefully. I first went to Huntington Beach, which is one of the OC beaches. Then when we couldn't get on the beach there, I went down to Newport Beach. Now you got to remember, Gavin Newsom He ordered his lockdown of California. Then he said he was going to start opening up California. And then he very specifically said that he was going to shut down beaches in Orange County. Orange County, one of the few somewhat conservative counties in a metro area of California. So we first go to Huntington Beach. There was a big protest of this lockdown on Friday. So we thought we'd get on the beach. They have not only the yellow tape up at all the beach entrances, they have cops patrolling that yellow tape. So even if you wanted to break the rules and go onto the beach, the cops would just grab you right as you tried to walk on. Not just that, there were helicopters patrolling the beach, ordering people to go inside. I took this video of one just on my iPhone. This is something that was extraordinarily eerie about not only what we heard out of that helicopter, but even what we heard from some of the cops walking around and from some of the other bullhorns is all of these law enforcement officers tried to sound so pleasant. Oh, excuse me. Sorry. Sorry for the inconvenience. Um, Go home right now uh, because the state has ordered law enforcement officers with guns to kick you off of the beach. But Ray, we're really sorry. It's for your own benefit. You know, so smiley, so kind, so nice. But the end result is the same. The governor is ordering you imprisoned in your own homes. And if you even try to go out and take a walk in the sunshine, we'll bully you out of there and put you back indoors. That was Huntington. You couldn't get on the beach in Huntington. It wasn't possible. So we drove about 10 minutes down the road, down PCH, and got to Newport Beach. Newport Beach, a little more uh, freedom-loving down there. There were people on the beach. So we walked onto the beach, and then at a certain point, the lifeguard SUVs rolled up, followed by the cop SUVs rolling up with the same message, ordering people off the beach. Now, what's so interesting about this video again, I just got it on my phone, is the lifeguards and the cops, they order everyone off the beach and the people on Newport Beach, they just don't move. All right, it goes on. There's still some more, you know, please leave the beach. Hey, everybody, the governor, leave the beach. And as they're driving by, there's just people sitting there in their chairs like, oh, hey, officer, how you doing? Bye-bye. That's the the better attitude toward it, I think. Newport was a lot better than, than Huntington in terms of the people who were going to the beach. The cops patrolled. No one really paid attention. Some people maybe left a little bit. Then the minute the cops were gone, the people just went right on the beach. And that was that. The beach closures have nothing to do with public health. This is the key takeaway that I saw firsthand. The beach closures are purely punitive. They are just meant to punish you. They're just meant to make you feel bad. Now, how do we know this? Well, for starters, there's research that just came out of the Queen Elizabeth Hospital Foundation Trust and the University of East Anglia in England, which 
shows that a deficiency of vitamin D apparently makes the coronavirus far more dangerous. Compared the average vitamin D levels of 20 European countries with COVID-19 mortality rates, found significant relationships between vitamin D and the number of deaths caused by this infection. So basically stands to reason. If you go out and get a little bit of sunshine, you're going to be healthier than if you stay cramped in this, these dank indoor spaces all the time. Uh, obviously if we want to keep our vitamin D levels up, no better place to do it in Southern California than at the beach. They don't care. They're ordering you indoors. Another reason this is ridiculous. The beaches are huge. So one thing I saw in Huntington Beach is the, the huge wide beaches, totally empty. The sidewalks packed full of people. If you want people to social distance, how about you open up the giant open spaces? If you did that, people obviously would be far further apart than they would be otherwise. When I, I finally did make it down to Newport Beach, once the cops went away, I just went down with my chairs, hung out there for a few hours. We weren't just six feet apart. We were probably 30 or 40 feet apart at that point. Uh, but it doesn't matter. Gavin Newsom, that, that's not the point. <laughs> the point is not to social distance. Third reason why fresh air is always good. Having a little fresh air is good for the body, especially when we're talking about airborne illnesses. Either you can be cramped up, cooped up with people and sharing the same stagnant air, or you can be out in the fresh air. But the, the key giveaway that this is just political punishment is that Newsom singled out his political opponent's county OC. The volume of density, the volume of people and uh, concentrated space, uh, particularly in a few cities, few coastal uh, uh, cities uh, off and around uh, the Orange County area, uh, those were the point of particular concern. So today we want to uh, make uh, some clarifications. We're going to do a hard close uh, in that part of the state, just in the Orange County area. Yeah, just in that area, Orange County area. You know, just in that area that voted against me when I ran for governor, just, just in that area, you jerks, you monsters. Yeah, the other areas, they're okay, but just in that one area full of my political opponents. Pathetic stuff. What did I do at the beach? What did I do when I was violating the law? I ate a taco and I read the Aeneid and I caught some sunshine. That's it. That's, that's pretty much all anybody was doing. Reading a book, kind of listening to music, drinking a little bit. That's it. Okay. Everyone was very far apart. All that this is about is just politicians covering their derrieres. It, it occurred to me while sitting on the beach, this is going to get a lot worse before it gets any better. Not because of the virus, but because of the politics of it. Why? There's increasing evidence that the lockdowns didn't save a single life. Not just that they were ineffective, but that they didn't save a single life. The two, the only two things the lockdowns can accomplish are flatten the curve so as not to overwhelm the hospital system and flatten the curve until we can get a point, we can get to a point where we have a vaccine and that will save a lot of lives. However, we didn't come close to overwhelming the hospital system, even in the places that were at the center of the epidemic. So that, that argument off the table. We're not close to a vaccine, and there's increasing evidence that the virus is spreading much, much faster. There are many, many more people infected than we thought that there were. Uh, and so it, it seems very unlikely, if not impossible, that we're going to get a vaccine before this virus spreads throughout a huge portion of the population. So there's no evidence that the lockdowns accomplished much of anything at all. There is increasing evidence that the governors and the mayors need to convince people that the lockdowns were necessary. You're even seeing this at the federal government, federal, state, and local. And so we need to have these, or politicians think we need to have these punitive measures like beach closures to play on cognitive dissonance. That's, that's the principle that's at play here. What is cognitive dissonance? So when you're seeing a disagreement between your behavior and what you see intellectually to be true, there's more to it than that, but that's a simple description of it. What people are seeing, what people are reasoning through intellectually is the lockdowns were an overreach. They increasingly do not seem to be necessary. They increasingly seem to be making things worse, right? Because the economy is completely crashed. People's livelihoods are being ruined. Suicide rates are going to go up. Drug, drug overdose rates are going to go up. People are looking at it and saying, wow, this is a bad policy. And even if it made sense five weeks ago, it certainly doesn't make sense now, right? And yet the politicians have to double down on it to make it seem like it was necessary. And so 
they're, they're forcing people back indoors. They're forcing people away from the beach. They're not letting anybody return to anything even slightly resembling a normal life. Gavin Newsom says, it's not going to just be weeks. It's going to be months before we reopen churches. We're going to, all the things that really matter to you, we're not going to reopen. Because if we're all cooped up inside, if we're not going to walk on the beach, even though it's perfectly fine to walk on the beach, following all the rules, you can still go to the beach. If we stay cooped up inside, we're going to feel like this is a super serious thing. Our behavior is going to be telling us that this is the end of the world and we have to stay indoors. And so it will be easier to convince ourselves that the politicians were right in the first place. But they're not. This is a complete political rear end covering right now. And all of the incentives are going to be in place for politicians to make this worse. You know, on a very simple, shallow level, it, people think that politicians want to make this easier for us. They want it, us to help go back to work. They want us to be able to go outside and enjoy ourselves, enjoy the sunshine. No, it actually will be better for the alarmist politicians if this feels tougher on us because it makes it look like they were right in the first place. Uh, we will get to more on this principle and we'll get to the Biden interview in just a moment. First though, I've got to thank our friends over equipped. I have to thank all of our friends, our sponsors who have stuck with us, you know, pretty crazy days we're in right now, tough times economically. We really appreciate our sponsors who are sticking with us and allowing us to remain on the air. So we'd appreciate it if you would support them as well. One of those sponsors, oh, very important these days, is Quip. You know, under the current circumstances, basic habits like oral hygiene can sometimes go by the wayside. You know, you don't necessarily go to the drugstore. You don't replace the things you got to replace. That's exactly why you need to get a great toothbrush and stick to your healthy habits. Good health starts with good habits. Simple as that. We talk about that principle on the show all the time. You got to get into good habits. Quip makes it easy by delivering all the oral care essentials that you need to brush and floss better. The Quip electric toothbrush has timed sonic vibrations with 30 second pulses to guide a dentist recommended two minute routine. And there's even a size down version designed for kids. Uh, you pair this with Quip's anti-cavity toothpaste and mint or watermelon. You get all the ingredients that teeth actually need and none that they don't. Uh, Quips is just tremendous. Go right now to getquip.com slash Michael. You will get your first refill free. That is getquip.com slash Michael, G-E-T-Q-U-I-P.com slash M-I-C-H-A-E-L, Quip, the good habits company. So Gavin Newsom, right? Covering his political derriere. He sent this letter on March 18th to President Trump. Dear Mr. President, I write to respectfully request you immediately deploy the USNS Mercy Hospital ship to be stationed in LA through September to help decompress our current healthcare system. As you know, California has been disproportionately impacted by repatriation efforts. We project that roughly 56% of our population, 25.5 million people, will be infected with the virus over an eight-week period. None of his predictions came true, certainly not by the official count. The hospital system was not overwhelmed. California is actually doing relatively quite well. Uh, so he was wrong. He was wrong. And as it becomes clear that he's wrong, he's doubling down. You see this in Chicago too. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot saying that she's going to throw people in jail if they don't stay in their dank apartments. Now, I've directed Superintendent Brown to order all police districts to give special attention to these parties. And this is how it's going to be. We will shut you down. We will cite you. And if we need to, we will arrest you and we will take you to jail. Period. There should be nothing unambiguous about that. Don't make us treat you like a criminal. But if you act like a criminal and you violate the law and you refuse to do what is necessary to save lives in the city in the middle of a pandemic, we will take you to jail, period. So this kind of talk is very offensive to an American. We don't like to hear our politicians talk to us like this. Pretty disgraceful, not in keeping with our national tradition of respect for our citizens, free government, self-government, right? And yet she's kind of got a point. I mean, she's dead wrong in how she talks and what she does and pretty much everything because she's a very crooked Chicago politician. But she does have a point here. It gets to something that we were talking about last week in our description of freedom and what it means to be free and how we learn to be free. There will be order. Okay, the government will impose order on us or we will impose order on ourselves. And in the early tradition of the United States, 
We had a rigorous system of self-government, very local government, strong families, strong liberal arts, the liberal arts being the way that we make sense of our freedom and earn our freedom and discipline ourselves. Very religious. John Adams said this, remember? He said, our constitution is built for a moral and religious people. It is unfit to the governance of other kinds of people. We have a free government, but if you're going to have a free government doesn't mean just do what you want. Free government means you control yourselves so that we don't have to impose it on you. And increasingly, particularly over the last 50 or 60 years, there has been a social movement in this country, the left, that has sought to take away those controls. So most noticeably, you see this in the realm of sex. We saw it at the beginning with free love. It's moved on to you do you. It's gone on to the moral standard of if it feels good, do it. That, that now there is basically no limit to our sexual expression. We should indulge any sexual desire that we have basically at any time. You saw then the breakdown of marriage, which is the fundamental building block of society. You saw the rise of no-fault divorce. You saw the rise of slightly strange, a little bit kooky living situations. You saw a social breakdown at that level. Then this rises up to the community level. Uh, communities don't remain quite as strong as, as you have the sort of cult of the atomized individual and pursuing one's own individual self-interest at the expense of any kind of public interest. These localities start to break down. People move away, first of all, from them. They don't participate in their own civic, civil society. You see the voluntary associations that uh, political observers like uh, Alexis de Tocqueville observed in America, you know, the Lions Club, the PTA, that kind of thing, those start to break down as well. Ultimately, at the end of this, I'm skipping a lot of steps, but you know, in the interest of time, you get to what Barack Obama in 2012 described as the life of Julia. And this, this was so honest of the left talking about their, their platform that they actually scrubbed it from the internet because it, it was very spooky. And the life of Julia was this description, cradle to grave, of this woman's life where she has no meaningful relationship with anybody but the federal government. No husband, no local community, no nothing, nothing, no family, just the government. Even when she chooses to have a child, she doesn't get fall in love, get married, you know, have a big baptism, have a party. Have, no, none of that. She chooses to have a child and then the government takes care of that child for her. And that's, that's it. As we pursue merely our own individual desires, then the power of the government grows and they control us. Now, what's funny is Lori Lightfoot here, this leftist politician, she's sort of complaining about this. She's pretending she's upset. The left has been hoping for this for 60 years at least. Okay. And it's up to us to fight back against that. If we want to not be talked to by our politicians like that, if we want to have a little dignity and respect and freedom in this country, we need to govern our own desires. Now, what Lori Lightfoot is saying is if you go out and, you know, don't listen to every word we're saying, then you're not behaving. You're not controlling yourself. That's not true. We don't need to control ourselves in the way the politicians want us to control ourselves. Certainly not. But we do need to be able to control ourselves, our desires, our actions, our behaviors, so that not only will the politicians not talk to us that way because they have such respect for us. They're such good people out of the kindness of their heart because they won't be allowed to because some hack two-bit would-be totalitarians wouldn't dare speak that way to a free people. Now, speaking of two-bit tin pot would-be world leaders, uh, we will get to Joe Biden. He had a mostly disastrous, but it still probably won't matter, interview on MSNBC to address the sexual assault allegations. We'll get to that in a second. First, we've got to thank our friends over at LifeLock. LifeLock is very important these days. You've got to be prepared. You know people who are prepared for every eventuality, right? And you're not one of those people, but you'd like to be. Breaches seem like they're happening more and more these days. And with your breached information, like your name, social security number, and more, criminals can commit identity theft. And that's why LifeLock sees more threats, like someone taking out a payday loan in your name, alerts you to possible suspicious activity. And if you end up having an identity theft issue, you will be uh, talking to your dedicated identity restoration specialist just a phone call away. No one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses, but with breaches on the rise, doesn't it make sense to be prepared? You're doing a lot more online these days. Make sure you're prepared. Join LifeLock and save up to 25% off your first year. Go to lifelock.com slash Knowles. That is lifelock.com slash Knowles, Canada, W-L-E-S. And my gift to you, you will save 25%. You just have to go to lifelock.com slash Knowles, Canada, W-L-E-S. 
Joe Biden finally addresses the sexual assault allegations from Tara Reid. The mainstream media have been doing a good job of covering up for him and not asking him questions. Finally, he goes on Morning Joe. He talks to Mika Brzezinski, and he makes the strongest defense I've heard yet of why we should not pin these allegations on him. I don't remember any type of complaint she <clears throat> may have made. It was 27 years ago, and uh, I don't remember, nor does anyone else that I'm aware of. And uh, the fact is that I don't remember. I, I, I don't remember any complaint ever having been made. The fact is, I don't remember. This is by far Joe Biden's best defense. <laughs> the one thing I believe from Joe Biden is that he doesn't remember. Absolutely. And he doesn't remember his own name. He doesn't remember where he is at all. So he makes this argument, which we would expect. And it was by far the highlight of the interview. Further down in the interview, he starts to break apart. He, you know that Joe Biden is not great with his words. He's always putting his foot in his mouth. He lets out a little bit too much. So Mika asks him, okay, you don't remember this. Do you know if there is a record of this woman filing a complaint? Are you absolutely certain that there is no record that she filed a complaint? This is a great opportunity where if there is no complaint, Joe Biden can come out and say, yes, there is no complaint. Take that one to the bank. This is BS. We're moving on. But he can't say that because it seems very likely that there is a complaint. And so Joe Biden gives us this word salad non-answer of an answer. As we- Look, uh, this is a very, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Please. No, no, that's all. As we await for the records from the National Archives, are you absolutely certain, are you absolutely positive there is no record of any complaint by Tara Reid against you? I am absolutely positive that no one that I'm aware of ever has been made aware of any complaint, a formal complaint made by or a complaint by Tara Reid against me at the time this allegedly happened 27 years ago or until the, I announced for, pre, well, it was, I guess it was in April or May of this year. I'm at. Let me see if I get this right. I'm absolutely certain that I'm certain and that there's no record of a complaint that of anyone that I talked to having a record or, or a complaint or a complaint of anyone from the time and the ever or until May or until April. No, I think I'm pretty, no, absolutely no aware. <laughs> Those were, I guess every word that Joe Biden used made sense, but when you put them together, they didn't mean anything. And they didn't, they didn't mean anything because he can't be certain that there isn't a complaint. And very likely he thinks that there is a complaint. So, okay. So far, basically so good. What else is he going to say? He's going to use mealy-mouthed politician language. I don't remember this. Well, there's, I don't know. There's probably not a chance and maybe there is. Then Joe Biden goes too far. And we kind of move actually past the Tara Reid sexual assault stuff into the broader problem of Joe Biden's public life, which is that he's held virtually every position on virtually every issue. He doesn't really believe anything. He's corrupt. There's a lot of evidence of his own corruption. And so to begin, Mika says, why can't we just search these records? Your records are at the University of Delaware. Let's just open them up and give them a search. He goes, we can't search those records because those records contain many of my speeches and publicly held positions from over the years. And it would be unfair for those speeches and positions to be re-released publicly while I'm running for office. He's basically saying it would be very unfair for people to know what I've thought and done for my whole career because then nobody would vote for me. Okay, please. Go ahead. The first is no, about your University of Delaware records. Do you agree with the reporting that those records were supposed to be revealed to the public and then they were resealed for a longer period of time until after you leave, quote, public life? And if you agree with that, if that's what happened, why did that happen? Because, look... The fact is that there's a lot of things that of speeches I've made, positions I've taken, interviews that, that, that I did overseas with people, all of those things relating to my job.
And the idea that they would all be made public in the fact while I was running for public office, they could be really taken out of context. The papers are position papers. They are documents that existed and, and uh, that, that when I, for example, when I go, when I met with Putin or when I met with whomever. And all of that to be fodder in a campaign at mm -hmm. this time, I don't know of anybody who's done anything like that. And so the National Archives is the only place there would be anything having to do with personnel records. There are no personnel records in the Biden papers mm -hmm. at the university. Stop talking. Quit while you're ahead. Initially he says, look, I don't have any, there's no personnel records in here, so there's no reason to open these up. I don't have any recollection of the complaint. No one else does either. Also, we can't open them up because it's got all my positions that I've held over the years, and we don't want people to know about my positions. Also, there are conversations I've had with Vladimir Putin. We definitely don't want people to hear that. It's like, what? Dude, now all you've done is convince me from the beginning of that clip to the end that we definitely need to reopen those records for way more than the Tara Reid stuff. I don't really care that much about the Tara Reid stuff. I mean, it's a, a good attack on Joe Biden because of the absolute rank hypocrisy of the Me Too movement and feminists, which we will get to in a moment because uh, Lisa Bloom, the famous feminist lawyer, has proved this perfectly. But it's not really about the Tara Reid stuff because Joe Biden does have a point. It's been 27 years and it's strange that these things are just coming up now. Should they be investigated? Yeah, sure. I suppose so. They're far more credible than the Brett Kavanaugh allegations. I have a, a far more sympathetic view of the accuser in this case than any of the feminists do. So surely we should at least take it seriously, but it's not just the Tara Reid stuff. It's his whole career. And he says, no, we can't look at that he's actually kind of agreeing with me saying, yeah, it's, we're not that worried about the allegation. We're worried about my whole career. He goes on and unbelievable. You got to give it to Joe Biden. He somehow makes a bad defense even worse when he says, forget even about my public papers. What about all the contacts I've had with foreign governments? What about my conversations with Barack Obama that I had about those foreign governments? Why not do it for both sets of records? Because the material in the University of Delaware has no personnel files and it has, but it does have a lot of confidential conversations that I had with the president about a particular issue that I had with the heads of state of other places, that that would not be something that would be revealed while I was in public office or while I was seeking public office. You had a lot of conversations with president, then president Barack Obama, about a particular issue. And on this issue, you also had conversations with heads of state. What might that particular issue be? Would that particular issue be the actual biggest scandal of your recent campaign? The issue that while you were vice president running relations with the Ukraine, you insisted that the prosecutor who was investigating your crooked son get fired in exchange for aid from the United States? Would it, would it be that uh, on this issue of Ukraine and Hunter Biden and Burisma, that that clip where you said, we're going to withhold the funding if you don't fire this guy, I'll call Barack Obama right now. Would it be, you know, that clip that was kind of floating around, would, would that be the issue maybe? Is that the issue that you don't want to come up? I don't know. I'm just raising questions. I haven't seen the files, but it sure as hell seems to me that we should. Biden taking a bad particular situation, which is this increasingly credible allegation against him, although we don't know that it is actually credible, right? Don't forget, it still took decades for this thing to come out. Story has changed a little bit, far more credible than Christine Blasey Ford, but let's not get ahead of ourselves here, right? He's taking this bad problem for his campaign and turning it into a much broader problem that reflects on his own corruption and his own political weaknesses. And then he gets to the worst clip, the most awkward clip of the entire interview. We'll get to that in one second. And we'll get to President Trump's wild, incredible, brilliant response to Joe Biden's interview. But first, time is running out. When you become a Daily Wire Insider Plus or All Access member, do you know what you get? You get a leftist year's tumbler. You know that, right? What if I told you that you get two leftist year's tumblers, two magnificent tumblers, and this deal ends tomorrow. Deals like this don't come around very often. I think we've only done this 
this time. I think it's the first time we've ever done it. So right now, take advantage of it. And existing members, I know that you may feel a little bit of envy. Don't worry. We have a special offer coming up just for you. Very important thing to get these two tumblers because as the uh, entire modern feminist movement collapses, which it did yesterday, you're going to need the tumblers to collect all of the tears. Go to dailywire.com. We will be right back. Okay, so I've got to warn you, when you listen to Joe Biden's response on this, there's going to be a, a pause. Your audio has not gone out. The podcast has not stopped. It's just that awkward. What's funny about this is that it's actually Joe Biden's best defense, but he couldn't give it right. Classic Joe Biden move. So Mika asks, if there's nothing there in the records, why not do a search? I'm, I'm just talking about her name, not anybody else in those records. A search for that. Wow. Nothing classified with you... the president or anybody else. I'm just asking why not do a search for Tara Reid's name in the University of Delaware records? Look, I mean, who, who, who does that search? The University of Delaware, uh, perhaps you set up a commission that can do it. I don't know. Whatever is the fairest way to no. create the most transparency. Well, this is, look, Mika, she said she filed a report. She has her employment records still. She said she refiled a report with the only office that would have a report in the United States Senate at the time. If the report was ever filed, it was filed there, period. Uh, he finally got around to it. It's there, period. It's all over, but not before that long, awkward pause. This is Joe Biden's best defense as to why he doesn't want to open up his sealed records at the University of Delaware. And that defense is, who's going to do the search? We're in the midst of a presidential campaign. Nobody could possibly be without some kind of interest here, without some kind of bias. So we're, we just can't do it is nobody would have the objectivity to do it. If the Biden campaign did the search, no one would believe it. If the University of Delaware did the search, it might leak and still perhaps no one would believe it. If some other political operatives were brought in, it would be too uh, unreliable and too dangerous and, and other candidates actually wouldn't do it. But Joe Biden can't get this out there. So Joe Biden just destroys himself as always, as he always does. Just his campaign gets worse and worse and worse all on his own. Nicole Wallace, mainstream media reporter, MSNBC, decides that it's not Joe Biden's own fault. It's not Mika Brzezinski's own fault. It's not Tara Reid's fault. You're not technically allowed to blame Tara Reid, even though that's what the Democrats are trying to do. She's saying that this whole, as this whole aspect of the attack on Joe Biden is a smear campaign being run by Republicans. I think that this is a year without campaigns, without a campaign trail, without a campaign press corps. And the silver lining, if you will, is that voters are going to have to watch that interview this morning and, and make their own judgments about there, there are no more arbiters. There are no more poobahs in either party. Let me just say this, too, having once been a part of the Republican Party. The right isn't running an intellectually honest operation to get to the bottom of whether Tara Reid was victimized. The right is running a smear campaign against Joe Biden. It's a smear campaign being run by the right. It's being run by the right, really? I thought it was being run by Tara Reid, who is a Democrat, who isn't just a Democrat. She's a Democratic staffer who worked for Joe Biden. That's what it is. And by the way, Republicans have been actually pretty laissez-faire about this whole thing. We haven't totally embraced the Tara Reid stuff. We're pointing out the hypocrisy of how Kavanaugh was treated versus how Biden's being treated by the media, but we're not totally embracing it. Actually, here's my evidence. President Trump is sort of defending Joe Biden. It's a brilliant, totally unexpected, but a brilliant move. Uh, President Trump was on Dan Bongino's podcast just a couple days ago, and he was asked about the Tara Reid allegations. And you ask yourself, how's Trump going to respond? Is he going to go hard after Joe and call him a creepy sexual assailant? Is he going to stay out of the fray, or this is the bizarre option, is he going to defend Joe Biden? And actually, 
defending Joe Biden was politically the smartest move. I've been falsely accused by people that I've never even seen. I've, I've never even seen many of these people. And some of them, I, I met them, zero interest, okay, like zero. And all of a sudden you become a wealthy guy, you're a famous guy, then you become president. And people just, people that you've never seen, that you've never heard of, make charges. So, you know, I guess in a way you could say I'm, I'm uh, sticking up for him, but the mother was very compelling, certainly, and the girlfriend or the friends were very compelling, and certainly far more compelling than anything they had with respect to Brett Kavanaugh. This is one of the most high-quality human beings. What they did to that family and that man is a disgrace. So Scott Adams, the Dilbert guy, gave some good analysis of this. A few other people have as well, but Scott's is worth checking out. Trump is in a very tough spot here, right? Because if Trump goes after Joe, based on these allegations, as some creepy sexual assailant, well, look, Donald Trump has been a playboy for much of his career, and so you can always dredge up a bunch of people who were calling him some kind of sexual assailant. None with the credibility of Tara Reid against Joe Biden, right? You, you always hear this from the left. They say, there's 20 accusations of sexual misconduct against Trump, 25, 50 million accusations of sexual misconduct. The way that you know that there aren't really 20 serious allegations of sexual misconduct against Trump is if any of them were really credible, the mainstream media would not have shut up about it for the last four years, but they don't have any actual credible allegations against Trump. So they trot out a porn star that he had a completely consensual relationship with. Remember Stormy Daniels? They used that for like a year or two years. If they had someone who actually said, that guy raped me, that guy assaulted me, then uh, we would know her name, right? But you never hear the name. She just, you're oh, it's 20, it's 25 women. So Trump still knows that he's not going to be treated fairly in the media. And so he takes this really reasonable position, which is, look, we don't know if these claims are true. Famous people, famous men do get targeted with false allegations. This has happened a lot. We don't know if the allegations are true or not against Joe. The only thing we know is that the left and the media are being completely hypocritical here. This is the same argument. This is by far the best argument that conservatives could possibly make. And it, it leaves the left no wiggle room, right? They've tried to put us in an impossible position. We turn it around and put them in that position. Uh, Lisa Bloom, Gloria Allred's daughter, uh, Lisa Bloom, one of the most famous feminist lawyers in the country, took this. She was in this impossible position and she took it to its logical conclusion. I, I think that this tweet from Lisa Bloom will be cited by sociologists as the precise moment that feminism died. She tweets out, unbelievable. I believe you, Tara Reid. You have people who remember you told them about this decades ago. We know he is handsy. You're not asking for money. You've obviously struggled mightily with this. I still have to fight Trump, so I still support Joe. But I believe you, and I'm sorry. That is a stunning statement from the feminist left. And it confirms everything we have said about them from the beginning, which is this is not about supporting women. This is not about the objective pursuit of truth. This is not about fighting the oppressors and helping the oppressed or whatever language they use. This is about attacking conservatives. This is about attacking our culture, which conservatives obviously want to conserve. The Me Too movement has gone from believe all women in 2016 to now in 2020, believe all women and elect their rapists. That's what she's saying. She's saying, I believe that Joe Biden is a sexual assailant. I believe it. I believe everything you're claiming is true. And I'm sorry, but I'm definitely still going to vote for him. At least Lisa Bloom is honest. She's catching a lot of flack for this because what she's saying is indefensible, but the whole feminist left is indefensible. <laughs> you know, they just lie and they try to be hypocrites. At least, at least what Lisa Bloom is doing is admitting what this is. Head of the Time's Up, you know, the Time's Up Me Too organization. Head of Time's Up is defending Biden to disbelieving reads. Same thing with Deborah Messing, the famous leftist actress. Same thing with Alyssa Milano. Some people are shocked by the double standard. I am not. Okay. This was never about principles. 
not the Me Too movement, not feminism, not any of the leftist social movements that we've seen over the last hundred years, not any part of leftism. It's not about principles or standards. It's about you. It's about tearing you down. It's about taking away your culture, taking away your country, taking away your traditions and your rituals, all, rich, rituals, all your rituals, your dialects that might pronounce rituals as rituals, you everything that you cherish, that you want to conserve. It's about tearing that down. It's about deconstruction, right? These are the kind of words that you hear all the time from the left, deconstruction, social constructs and deconstruction, right? They want to rip it down. They don't like you. They don't like your culture. They don't like your traditions. They don't like your history. They don't like your civilization. They want to tear it down. If feminism will tear it down, they'll use feminism. If the hijab will tear it down, they'll use the hijab, right? They'll use kind of Islamic identity politics. Feminism and the hijab don't really go together. Doesn't matter. They'll use whichever one's convenient. If gay identity politics will tear it down, they'll use that. If transgender identity politics will tear it down, which totally undermine gay identity politics, right? The whole idea of homosexual identity politics is we're born this way. There is such a thing as biological sex. We're attracted to people of the same sex. Transgenderism says none of that's true. There is no such thing as sex anyway. We can be men can be women, women can be men. It's transphobic if you're not attracted to the people that I want you to be attracted to. doesn't matter. They'll use either one. And we're perpetually shocked that people like Linda Sarsour, right, Islamists, will hold hands with Gloria Steinem, leftist secular feminists at the Women's March. We say, these two people don't have a lot in common, but yet they hold hands at the Women's March. They do have something in common. They have a common enemy, and that's you and your culture and your civilization. We're shocked that they believe Christine Blasey Ford, but not Tara Reid. Why? It's not about any principle, okay? It's just about tearing down the culture. It is purely a politics of opposition. This is not even a conflict of visions for the culture. It's about culture and it's about anti-culture. And that's it. And we should be open-eyed to it and stop being these naive little children who are perpetually shocked. And we say, yeah, but look at the hypocrisy. They don't care about the hypocrisy. Point out the hypocrisy because it's important to win over conservatives and moderates and independents. The left doesn't care. It was never about principles. It was always about you. Speaking of people who are misunderstanding the political moment, former President George W. Bush issued a whole message about how terrible the virus is. And it's a feel good message. You know, we've got to be nice to everybody and this is a tough time, but we'll get through it. Okay, that's fine. Most of it's unobjectionable. Then he gets to his political advice in this moment. And this political advice was dead wrong. Let's remember that the suffering we experience as a nation does not fall evenly. In the days to come, it will be especially important to care in practical ways for the elderly, the ill, and the unemployed. Finally, let us remember how small our differences are in the face of this shared threat. In the final analysis, we are not partisan combatants. We are human beings, equally vulnerable and equally wonderful in the sight of God. We rise or fall together, and we are determined to rise. God bless you all. Okay, basically an unobjectionable message, right? Except for the political advice he seems to be giving here. He's saying, by the final count, we're not just political opponents. Yeah, that's true. Ultimately, my ultimate identity is not as a political opponent of somebody else. But in this political moment, that is an important aspect of our character. Because the left doesn't forget that they have a political agenda. But very often conservatives do forget that we have a political agenda. The left has been telling us for 50 years, the personal is the political. Everything is the political. And some conservatives, unfortunately, like former President Bush, are trying to pretend that that is not the case. And a lot of the failings on the right during the Bush era, I think, are attributable to this problem. This is a political moment. Right now, the authoritarian hack politicians on the left are using the coronavirus as an opportunity to punish their political opponents, to wield arbitrary political power without any reasoning left whatsoever, and to cover their own political derrieres with even more punitive measures. Okay. That is political. 
And it is important for us as free citizens of this republic to use our political mechanisms at our disposal to push back against that. This is political. It'd be really nice if we could just kumbaya all the time. That is not how this is working at this moment. And conservatives who think that that is the way forward, I think, are woefully misguided. Before we go, I've got to talk about a conservative who was not ever woefully misguided. A conservative who is a real a real role model for people today. And she's been in many ways written out of history. And now the left is trying to rewrite her history when they put her back into history. That person is Phyllis Schlafly. Phyllis Schlafly, I had the great privilege of attending a dinner with her shortly before she died. And so this was toward the end of her life. And she gave a rousing, lucid, brilliant political speech there, as she always did. Phyllis Schlafly, very very prominent in the 1970s, fighting against the so-called Equal Rights Amendment. The Equal Rights Amendment was this leftist nonsense that tried to redefine sex and gender to say that there is no difference whatsoever between sex and what the equal right, there's actually a new push right now to, to ratify the Equal Rights Amendment. Uh, what it would do is, uh, in, in the long run, at the extreme, abolish things like same-sex schools because men and women wouldn't be treated perfectly equally. It would abolish same-sex restrooms, which is already happening. People mocked Phyllis Schlafly, said she was lying when she said that that would come to pass. It's already happening, even without the ERA. Said that women would be drafted. There's a big push again to do that right now. Basically everything this woman predicted about politics has come true, even though she did a great job slowing it down by stopping the Orwellian Equal Rights Amendment. And so one of the most brilliant women that has ever existed in American politics, there's a new show, which I'm watching right now. It's generally a pretty good show, but at crucial moments, they try to rewrite the history. I'll show you exactly how they do it. Here's a clip. Uh, Phyllis Schlafly is debating some feminist from the ACLU, and this is a real debate. These events are, you know, every scene in the show is based on real events, but then it gets interpreted loosely. Here is how the TV show portrays this debate going down. I mean, the courts uh, would decide, as they did uh, with a recent uh, Washington, D.C. case, where three children were given to the father and the mother had to pay child support. What Being was the crazy name of the to case? Say that was an advance for women. But the, in, the larger issue is that the ERA erodes the institution of marriage, not Cite just in the divorce. Case. The case? Well, I'd have to look it up. But the point is... You don't is, know the name of the case? Well, there's so many cases. We don't have time to cite them all. Just cite we don't the have one time case. to cite them Just all. Just name this one case. And the point is, if everything must be equal, then the logical extension of the ERA is that we would have a gender-neutral society. You have scared the women of America into believing something that is not based in reality. But when you argue an actual point in the real world, in a court of law, you need to cite a case to support your arguments So cite the case. Well, I think it was Foley versus Langham or Lancaster, something like that. No, there is no such case. Oh, yes, there is. But you see... Did you just uh, make up the I'm case? not a lawyer. No. Oh, wow. What a... This Phyllis she looks to her husband. She doesn't know the answer. She is so dumb and, and uh, deceptive because she's making up these cases, right? Except, here's the problem, that never happened. That never, ever happened. Didn't happen in that debate. That's a real debate. We can go back and watch the tape. You can find the tape. The, the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, actually, the organization to preserve her legacy, just did a great video on this, comparing shot by shot throughout much of this show, uh, all of the ways that they completely lie about history. So I go over, check that out on the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles page. Uh, this moment did not happen ever. She, Phyllis Schlafly never invented a case in this debate. She never invented a case in any political debate. And actually what happened in real life during the debate is that moment that Phyllis got all flustered because the feminist got her on the ropes. In reality, it was the exact opposite. It was this feminist who Phyllis was debating, who was contrary to the TV show, not confident, not particularly intelligent, not particularly good on camera. It was she who made an obviously false claim and who got called out for it and who couldn't answer it. Here's the reality. Many lending institutions count a woman's income only for half of what it is if she is married and between the ages of 20 and 44 and cannot show that she has been sterilized. Okay. 
That that goes for banks, that goes for department stores. Are you saying that they inquire if women are sterilized? Absolutely. There's any place that does that. There's any place that does that. They ask also about the methods of birth control. They do. Just name Give me the name of one institution that does that. I'd like to continue. There's a bank in Queens. I'm not going to name them. No, you're not. I don't think there is. I've never heard of one. Yeah, but this wouldn't be a plug. If there is any institution in this country that does that, it then becomes a major news event, which if that is the case, I can guarantee you, okay. will be a front page story on even the New let York me, Times. Let me, just, let me just lay it out. I mean, this is the trouble. Let me just, let you just give us the name and address of that place. Oh, it's exactly the opposite. It's even worse. They actually, this woman did even worse in the moment than they're pretending that Phyllis Schlafly did because she just made up this policy at a made up bank. She said, well, I'm not going to say the name. Why not? You're fighting for women's rights. Why don't you name them? That, isn't that the whole point of your movement? Well, no, I'm not. I, I don't want to. No, I'm not going to name my boyfriend. He lives in Canada. No, I don't think, uh-uh, no, and I don't think so. This is how they do it. This is what the left does. This is what Hollywood does. Because no one, most people don't remember Phyllis Schlafly anyway, because she's been written out of the history books. But now what people are going to remember is this TV show. That's what they're going to remember. Or they're going to, how are they going to remember JFK? They're going to remember Oliver Stone's movie, his anti-historical movie. This is what the left does. We talked about, on a couple episodes ago, we talked about how all news is fake. Now, all history is fake. <laughs> By that, I mean some of it's true, but you really have to look with a critical eye at all of these things because it's about you, okay? It's not about principle. It's not about telling the truth. It's not about the objective pursuit of what really happened. It's about tearing down a very particular culture, a very particular country, a very particular civilization, and they will do that by any means necessary. And we need to be on guard because that is being done in clear ways through political attacks that we see all the time, through policies that, that governors are foisting on us every day. And it's being done in subtle ways like the rewriting of news and the rewriting of history. But don't look for a principle. Just look for who the intended victim is. <laughs> look for who the intended enemy is. That person, I'm sorry to say, is you. All right, that's our show. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. I'll see you tomorrow. If you enjoyed this episode, and frankly, even if you didn't, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Klavan Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies and directed by Mike Joyner. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Supervising producers, Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. Assistant director, Pavel Widowski. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Audio mixer, Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup, Nika Geneva. Production assistant, Ryan Love. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. You know, the Matt Wall Show, it's not just another show about, about politics. I think there are enough of those already out there. We talk about culture because culture drives politics and it drives everything else. So my main focuses are life, family, faith. Those are fundamental. And that's what this show is about. I hope you'll give it a listen. Listen.